When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we take a 12-day Swiss Alps to Paris river cruise aboard Viking's longship Cavasser. After an eight-hour evening flight from Toronto, we arrived in Zurich at 7.30 a.m. local time. Viking River Cruise personnel greeted us after luggage pickup at their bus, provided us with water and hand wipe. They drove us to the Marriott Renaissance Hotel. The area architecture looked new and everything about this trip was first class. We enjoyed a walking tour and a relaxing boat cruise on Lake Zurich with stops for locals on both sides of the lake. We watched fishing, sailing, and even a couple swimming au naturel. The city's old town houses colorful guild houses and merchants' quarters. We strolled along the quay of the Limat River, whose waters flow through the city. Lenin lived here in 1970. The Dada art movement launched here in 1916. We viewed the Rathouse, built in 1690, and many churches. Frau Munster, which ruled the town until 1336. Grossmünster, funded by Charlemagne. St. Peter's, whose church bells rang so loudly that I couldn't hear our guide speak. Viking employs audio devices called Quiet Vox, used for all of the tours, allowing one not have to stick so close to the guide. We were with an older group called Gentle Walkers, so we could slow down to take pictures, and there seemed to be few cars downtown. Parking is prohibitively expensive. Trams used extensively. Apparently, we are in the safest geographical region in the world. No wars have involved Switzerland. But I did learn that nearby Constance was where the three popes, Germany, Holy Roman Empire, France, and Italy, became one, settling on Rome. No wars means no bombing, therefore buildings dating back to medieval times are intact. What makes Frau Munster Church one of Zurich's most popular tourist attractions is the beautiful set of five stained glass windows in the chancel, created by Marc Chagall in 1970. St. Peter's, south of the Lindenhof in the old town by the west bank of the Limat, stands on a little hill, the oldest parish church in Zurich, with the largest clock dials, 8.7 meters in diameter. The twin spire Grossmünster Church was founded by Charlemagne with stained glass windows by Augusto Giacometti, dominating the skyline with its twin towers built between the 11th and 13th centuries. The city oozes money, mainly from Swiss banks and insurance companies. It's expensive, a rule of thumb, $1,000 per room per house to rent. Four rooms equals $4,000. 73% rent as it's too expensive to purchase property, except for the likes of Tina Turner, whose villa we saw on the North Shore during the cruise. 
We left Zurich in pouring rain that stopped when we arrived in Basel at the French-German-Swiss borders on the Rhine, making it multilingual. Public transit also rules here. 50% of the population do not own a car. Tourists can find more than one museum per square kilometer, with a total exceeding 40. Many housed in buildings that are themselves works of art, designed by great architects that include Renzo Piano, Frank Gehry, and Mario Botta. The two sides of Basel are joined by six bridges over the Rhine, as it makes a sharp turn before flowing north to become the German-French border. Basel's university became a center for humanism in the 16th century and continued to be a magnet for distinguished scholars and teachers such as Erasmus, Holbein, Nietzsche, Hess, and Jaspers. The University of Basel is the oldest in Switzerland dating to 1460. The first World Zionist Congress was held here. Basel boasts the Bank for International Settlements, chemical and pharmaceutical companies, the 1019 Evangelical Church, which we toured, publishing houses, the only Swiss cargo port, and banks, libraries, and universities spread throughout the city. Along with Brussels and Luxembourg, Strasbourg, France, is one of the three capitals of the European Union, home to the Council of Europe and European Court of Human Rights. We were shown L'Orangerie, where they planted hundreds of orange trees, now all gone, replaced by large stork nests, the birds as big as eagles. It's the largest port on the Upper Rhine. Strasbourg is the cultural center of France's Alsace region. The old town is on an island enclosed by the Ill River, replete with cobblestone streets, wooden houses, and canals, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. In Cathedral Square, we visited the Strasbourg Cathedral, towering 426 feet above merchant houses. My neck was sore from looking upwards. Once the world's tallest building from 1647 to 1874, we admired the great Gothic rosette window, a beautiful red sandstone portal, and the remarkable 1842 astronomical clock depicting man's life to the death cycle. In patisserie store windows, we viewed delicious Kugelhoff cake baked in a round, fluted pan with brioche-type dough and dried fruits and nuts. An incredible journey. The cities visited thus far were beautiful with clean streets, inviting shops and restaurants, and life on board Vikings Cavassier with young Captain Michel Miedma has been a treat. After Strasbourg, our Viking longship transported us to Spire on the west bank of the Rhine in its Kaiser Dome, an 11th century Catholic Romanesque red sandstone cathedral, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, where eight Holy Roman Emperors and German kings are buried. In amusing contemporary contrast, there was a large-scale Marilyn Monroe exhibit and a picture of her at a nearby building. Protestants earned their name here in 1529 by drafting the Protestation at Spire, the 1526 Diet of Spire, proclaiming their right to practice Christianity as they pleased, protesting the Edict of Worms that had banned Martin Luther's writings and labeled him a heretic and an enemy of the state. In his honor, we visited the small Lutheran Trinity Church, Dry Faltkitz Church, with many attractive shops along the main street. Spire incurred no Second World War bombing damage reserved instead for the nearby chemical plants.
Next, we visited Mainz, at the mouth of the main river near the Na River, known for its risling wine. In pouring rain, we walked past the city hall, known locally as the Fox's Den, or Civil Servant's Gale, designed by Danish architects Otto Whiteling and Arnie Emil Jacobson. Indeed, it did look like a jail, complete with iron bars. Mates Cathedral, a soaring city landmark, is more than 1,000 years old, with six magnificent towers, and St. Stephen's Church boasts Marc Chagall's stained-glass windows. We toured the fascinating Gutenberg Museum with a demo of its typesetting and press, with only 49 Bibles printed since 1180. One was shown to us in two-volume form. Gutenberg's workshop was actually located in Strasbourg. Sadly, air raids destroyed 80% of the Mainz city center. Following Mainz, we leisurely strolled around Koblenz and explored its historic past. Dusch Eck is the famed German corner. It juts into the water like the prow of a ship where the Rhine and Moselle meet. The public park housing a huge equestrian statue of Emperor Wilhelm I. We visited Jesuit Platz or Jesuit Square in the heart of the old town, named after the religious order. The famed Teutonic Knights set up their first base here in 1216. The Romanesque Basilica of St. Castor is Koblenz's oldest building, dating to 836. In one of Germany's most scenic regions, the UNESCO World Heritage Site of the Middle Rhine, on the ship's open sun deck, we passed vineyard-blanketed hills whose steep slopes require vintners to pick grapes by hand. I watched Captain Michel Miedma operate a tiny joystick in his small cabin to guide the ship. We passed splendid castles and dramatic rocks along tall banks, including the Lorelei Rock at a dramatic curve in the river where a maiden supposedly lured sailors to their demise. I've never seen so many castles, a token to Holy Roman Empire noblemen during feudalism. Breezy up top, Viking staff immediately responded with warm woolen blankets, hot chocolate, and even wine. A perk with Viking is that beer and wine are complimentary when dining. At Kokum, as part of the Viking Moselle Wine Country Tour, we sampled varieties at the Schlagkamp Weinengabaf Winery, including Ebling Cuvée Andreas, a blend of three wines, and Granapple Liqueur, which tasted like peach brandy. Thousands of family winemakers work on steep slopes, and we arrived during harvest. Our guide gleefully reported that it doesn't snow here in Germany. A literal highlight was the lofty 1,000-year-old Reichsburg Castle, conquered by Louis XIV in the Nine Years' War, restored in splendid Gothic Revival style and offering panoramic views of the countryside. The next morning, white swans greeted us at our Cavasser veranda in Burncastle. We ambled to the town hall square with charming half-timbered houses, inviting lanes and alleys. Then we pushed on to Trier, the oldest city in Germany, site of the 16th century BC Roman colony of Emperor Caesar Augustus. It once rivaled Rome as the regional capital of the Holy Roman Empire. After Emperor Constantine the Great had a vision of Christ, he and his mother Helena built great churches and cathedrals here. A few still stand, the magnificent Romanesque Cathedral of Trier among them. The holy tunic worn by Jesus when he died is its most famous relic. The 20,000-seat amphitheater, 
Roman Bridge, and massive Porta Nigra, the ancient city gate, are relics of that time. Trier is known as the birthplace of Karl Marx, and it's a vibrant university town. Next, we will visit Luxembourg and Paris and then fly home. One of the main attractions of our Viking River cruise was the addition of two-day land stays at both ends of the trip, a feature of many river cruises. We started in Switzerland, allowing us to discover Zurich and Basel by Viking coach. We navigated on water aboard the Cavassur through France and Germany. We ended by Viking coach in Luxembourg and Paris, a great itinerary. In Luxembourg City's Old Town, a UNESCO World Heritage Site perched atop a gorge cliff, we strolled past Place d'Armes, the Monument of the Millennium, and the Grand Ducal Palace, pausing at the pedestrian promenade, heralded as Europe's most beautiful balcony, to admire views of the fortress ramparts and sweeping vistas across the river canyon. Just outside the city center, we stopped at the American Cemetery, where slightly over 5,000 U.S. Soldiers were buried after the Battle of the Bulge during the winter of 1945. I noticed the grave of General George S. Patton prominently located between two American flags. The city of Luxembourg served as headquarters for his Third Army, which helped to stem the last major German offensive campaign on the Western Front, one of the most critical battles of the Second World War. It was launched through the densely forested Ardennes region of Wallonia in eastern Belgium, northeast France, and Luxembourg. There's an impressive memorial chapel with massive bronze doors embellished with gold leaf cartouches depicting military virtues. A sparkling mosaic ceiling and a colorful stained glass window showcasing the army insignias representing men and women resting in the cemetery. On the lower level of the terrace, two large masts face each other, displaying the battle movements in the Western European operations and those related to the Battle of the Bulge. On the reverse of the maps, 371 names of those missing in action are inscribed. The cemetery's design is a softly curving fan shape consisting of nine sections interspersed with four fountains, majestic trees, and expansive rows and rhododendron beds. It's a suitably tranquil final resting place for American soldiers. Next, we visited Paris, taking two coach tours, one at night viewing major sites of the romantic City of Light, including the celebrated Louvre Museum, the iconic Eiffel Tower, the Latin Quarter, Saint-Germain-des-Prés, Place de la Concorde, Notre Dame Cathedral after the fire, and the recently restored Grand Palais and Petit Palais. After a delicious lunch in nearby Giverny, we explored the home and studio where Claude Monet spent many years refining and changing his style, as well as the wonderful gardens that he laid out. His grounds and lily pond were thrilling to behold. The many colors of the flowers that he planted and the varying shades of green in his lily pond provided Monet with inspiration for some of his most treasured works. The village was packed with tour groups It offered a quaint and quiet contrast to Paris. I could readily understand how Monet must have enjoyed its serenity and natural beauty. He was a founder of French Impressionist painting, the most consistent and prolific practitioner of the movement's philosophy, expressing one's perceptions of nature. Depicting the French countryside, he painted the same scene many times to capture its changing light and the passing seasons. 
In Giverne, he began painting water lilies in 1899 with a Japanese bridge as a central feature and later in the series of large-scale paintings that occupied him for 20 years. This was one of three Viking tours available in the Paris area, the others Versailles and Montmartre, similar to multiple options available at our other ports, along with colored maps and even walking sticks, if so required. Many ask whether or not a river cruise is worth the price. What I like are the optional tours, the different ability groups, we were gentle walkers, the fact that one is docked near the center of town each day, thereby allowing both major meals on board ship, and the fact that complimentary beer and wine are served at both lunch and supper. The cabins are spacious with verandas to sit outside, and you do not have to worry about moving luggage on a daily basis. Compared to a cruise ship with hordes of passengers, you encounter only 140 at most. And well ahead of your journey, Viking provides you with a booklet replete with everything that you need to know. Worth it? May we. Finally, if you have never tried a river cruise, you might like to know what's inside a typical Viking stateroom. Our stateroom included a river view with outdoor veranda, a hotel-style bed with luxury linens and pillows, a 40-inch flat-screen LCD TV with complimentary movies on demand, electrical outlets and USB ports, a refrigerator, a safe, hair dryers, spacious glass-enclosed shower, heated bathroom floor and anti-fog mirror, premium toiletries, plush robes and slippers, and a stateroom steward with twice-daily housekeeping. All that you can quickly get used to. To read my travel articles, go to my website at www.whattravelwriterssay.com and for travel pictures, go to my Pinterest boards at pinterest.com backslash mustang6648. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today, it's from Susan Heller who said, When preparing to travel, lay out all your clothes and all your money. Then take half the clothes and twice the money. Thanks for listening. Happy travels and tune in again next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.